And Father, we just ask you as we dig into the word today that you would speak to our heart, that you would reveal to us what you want us to take from the passage today, how it applies to our life, how we can live it out and honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So today is Palm Sunday, we're celebrating the beginning of Holy Week, and as we dig into that, we're going to approach Palm Sunday a little bit different um, this year, and actually all of Holy Week we're going to tackle just a little bit different this year, and I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, who all has lines in the sand that you've drawn of things that you're just not going to do? Anybody got some of that? Three people have. I have a line in the sand of things that I will not do. My goodness, what's going on there? We apologize for all the tech issues. We don't know what's going on, but we'll figure it out eventually when we get a new building, I guess. <laughs> uh, so anyways, just bear with us this morning. I'll yell if I have to, but we'll, we'll go about this morning. Um, that's a line in the sand that I, I, I drew, but you crossed the line, Greg, and you're just killing all the audio, which is fine. So anyways... Uh, I think about when I went into youth ministry. Uh, when I went into youth ministry, I was not a parent yet, but I had a, a, a pretty easy time of saying, well, there's no way I would let my kids do that. Uh, there's absolutely no way that my kids will never clean up after themselves. Uh, there's absolutely no way that my kids are going to have ice cream for dinner, which is what they had Friday night for dinner, because you become a parent and your motto instead goes from there's no way my kids to uh, it goes to, eh, let's pick your battles. Some of them just aren't worth fighting. Um, or I am a big movie buff. Who likes going to the movie theater? I love going to the movie theater. Christy and I would go to like at least a movie a week, sometimes two movies a week, and I said, I am always going to be a movie guy. I'm going to go as much as I can. I bought the unlimited movie pass before they went bankrupt. Um, but I still wore that thing out. But now I'm 45 years old, and I like naps. And I can barely make it through a whole movie in the movie, especially the ones with the recliners and the air conditioner. Man, those are some good naps. I'm just going to throw that out there. Maybe you have lines in the sand like that. Maybe you said, I'm never going to own a minivan and be a minivan mom. And now you're driving down the road and you see that new Kia Carnival and you're like, man, that is one sweet ride. I want one of those. Or maybe the, the cool mom at the soccer team's got like the brand new, I don't know, some minivan. Who has a minivan in here? We're not minivan moms hardly yet. You got one. Um, or, or maybe um, you said, there's no way I'm ever having another kid. And then it was like, whoops, uh, there's another kid on the way. Uh, didn't expect that. And now, now maybe I know of someone who had a, a kid when their oldest or their youngest child up to that point was like 21 years old. And all of a sudden they're raising another child. And they thought they were getting ready to be done with all of it. So maybe that's you. Uh, maybe you said, I'm never going back to church. Yet here you are. You're sitting in church this morning for whatever it may be. Uh, some of those lines that we won't cross, where we draw that line in the sand, sometimes it's a, a moral thing. And, and we say things like, I'll never get a divorce. Yet things went sideways. And you don't even know what happened, maybe, and now all of a sudden you find yourself as a, a divorced parent, maybe a single parent. Some of us say, well, I can handle this. It'll never be an addiction for me. It's just a drink here and there or whatever it may be, and now all of a sudden you find yourself 
That's the only place you find any sort of joy and relief is in the bottom of a bottle or a handful of pills. It turned really quickly. Maybe you're one who said, I'm strong, I can never give in to lust. And then you found yourself in the middle of an affair or an addiction to pornography. And then when these things start to happen and we've crossed these lines that we never said we were going to cross, we start making excuses and saying, well, life's hard. You, you can't imagine what I've been going through. And we start making denials and then we start compromising our values and saying, well, it's okay. You know, the Lord's going to forgive me. All of us, if you're not in one right now, you will find yourself soon or probably just getting out of one in compromising situations. Things are always popping up. Maybe tests from God. Maybe it's just life throwing things at us. Maybe it's tests from the enemy. Who knows? How do we keep from failing when we're faced with compromising situations? That is what we're going to look at here this morning. Like I said, today is Palm Sunday. On this day, right now, all around the globe, well, not right now because of time differences, but today, there will be Christians all around the globe who are gathering today to begin commemorating what we know as Holy Week or Passion Week, leading up all the events leading up to Easter Sunday next week. And people celebrate it all kinds of different ways. Churches right now are having their, their kids march in waving palm branches and all kinds of things. And there'll be services all throughout the week for people that, that observe different ways of Holy Week. But this year, like I said, we're going to approach Holy Week just a little bit different. Maybe you're a guest here today and, and you're expecting to get here on Palm Sunday and hear the story about Jesus riding in to, to Jerusalem on that Sunday. And that's typically where we would go. But I want to look at Passion Week or Holy Week through the eyes of people we can really relate to. And I want to look at it specifically through the eyes of one guy, the Apostle Peter. Because I relate really well to Peter because Peter did a lot of dumb things, uh, but he loved the Lord. I do a lot of dumb things, but I still love the Lord. Maybe you don't know who Peter is. You've heard the name. I mean, most people across this, this country, at least, in our nation, have heard things about the Apostle Peter. Maybe you've seen like a church named after St. Peter or whatever it may be. We've heard the names, but who was Peter really? Well, Peter was one of Jesus' 12 main disciples that became known as the Apostles. These were the guys who went and planted the church, but Peter he was likely the oldest of all those apostles or disciples. Uh, we believe that he was likely the oldest because he was already married. None of the other disciples were married. Um, and he was considered in Scripture, when you read about Peter, he was the one who was considered pretty much the leader of this group of 12 people. Outside of Jesus, he was the one who was kind of Jesus would look to. But he's still a young guy. But who's watched The Chosen? Peter and the Chosen is what, like 35 years old, 40 years old? Uh, anytime you see a, a, a portrayal of Peter in just about anything, you're going to see him as like this grizzled old dude who's not really old, but, you know, mid-age kind of guy. But in reality, all of the disciples were actually really young. Peter, at the point of the crucifixion, was probably no older than 25. And it's more likely he was around 20. 
which means when Jesus called him, Peter was still a teenager, 17, 18 years old when Jesus says, come and follow me. It kind of changes things when you realize that these 12 guys that we talk about so often were a group of teenagers who God chose to go and change the world, and people listen to them. We don't listen to teenagers nowadays, um, but maybe we should because God uses young people to do big things. Probably the youngest of the disciples was 15 years old, which would have been John. Imagine what they're going through. At 15 years old, up through maybe 20, 21, could be as old as 25 with Peter, going through what they're experiencing. It's a pretty awesome thing to think about. Now, Peter, uh, he was a little stubborn. Uh, all the stories we read about Peter, he, he was kind of hot-headed, um, maybe some of you can relate. Peter was an impulsive guy. He would just jump in and do things. And, and he was a fisherman. And like I said, he had already been married. He got married really young, sometimes as young as like 13, 14 years old. Peter was already married at this point, and he's the only one of the disciples who were married. And he had been there from the very beginning. He had seen all that Jesus was doing, had witnessed Jesus restoring the blind. He'd witnessed healings. He had witnessed Jesus raising people from the dead. He'd seen it all. He'd been there for the Sermon on the Mount. He had heard all of Jesus' teachings and preaching. He was there through all of it. He had experienced everything. He is the disciple who Scripture tells us when Jesus says, who do you all think that I am? And they're all saying, well, some say you're a prophet and this and that. And he says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. That is who this guy was. Holy Week, it begins on Palm Sunday with triumph. Jesus riding into Jerusalem triumphantly with people praising and shouting, Hosanna is here, Hosanna to God in the highest. The Messiah has come and Holy Week ends in triumph with an empty tomb. But all in between, there's failure, there's betrayal, it turns into a pretty ugly week. And towards the end of the week, as they are preparing the Passover meal, Passover was the biggest festival for the Jewish people. And as they are getting ready to observe the Passover meal, Jesus sends Peter and John ahead to go and get ready for it. It's the meal that we would come to know as the Last Supper. And that's where we pick up the story here this morning. In Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 20, we read this. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Now, a lot of us know what's going to happen next, but the disciples, they didn't know what was coming, and they all start to panic. And they're like, it's not me. It's, it can't be me. It's got to be, it's James, right? We, we look around and say, it's Micah, right? Micah's the one that's going to, they're all, it's not me, is it Jesus? I'm not the one. And then it gets to Judas, and Judas asks Jesus, is it me? And Jesus confirms, yeah, you're the one who's going to betray me. Now, imagine that for a moment. Jesus looks at you and says, you are going to walk away from me and not just deny me, you are going to betray me. You're going to be the one who's responsible for everything that is happening next. 
So Jesus has confirmed it's Judas. And then they go along with the meal. And it is at this meal, at this last uh, meal that they would have together, that Jesus institutes what we know as the Lord's Supper or communion. We take communion here as a church because it honors what Jesus put into place in this meal. We'll take communion this coming Friday at our Good Friday service together because of what happened on this, in this passage. Verse 31 through 35, Jesus is telling them, not only is one of you going to betray me, but all of you, every single person who's here at this meal right now, all 12 of you, you are going to, uh, to deny me or to walk away tonight. You're going to run. You're going to desert me. And then Peter, this is where Peter's personality starts to, to play into effect. Nope, ain't going to be me. Imagine telling Jesus, you're wrong, because that's what he does. No, it, it's not going to be me. I'm not going to desert you. I'm never going to, it's never going to happen. And then Jesus says, not only are you going to desert me, you're actually going to deny that you even know me, not once, not twice, but three times. Peter again, I will die before I deny you. It's not going to happen, Jesus. I'm not going to deny you. I'm here to the bitter end. I will die first. And it leads up to this story that we're focusing on today of Peter's failure. Most of us heard the story of Peter's denial. And Peter made all kinds of mistakes in this. He messed a lot of things up. But there are two mistakes that I want to focus on this morning that I think leads to Peter's failure. Uh, the first thing Peter does is he amplifies his own self-sufficiency. He lets pride come in and says, I can handle this. I'm never going to leave you, Jesus. I'm never going to deny you. He refuses to acknowledge that he has any weakness at all. I can handle it, Lord. No one is going to make me deny you. He, he lacks trust in what Jesus is saying. He... he is so arrogant in this. And I'm not bashing Peter because we all do these things. But in this moment, he has so much pride creeping in and so much self-awareness that he can handle it that he pretty much looks at Jesus and calls him a liar. Now I'm not going to do it. He relies on self. How does that work out for us when we look at Scripture and say, Jesus, that's not me, you're a liar. That, that, that doesn't end well for most people, especially when we are so self-focused. And, and Peter makes this huge mistake, but it's not the biggest one Peter made. It's a huge one, but I think Peter's fatal mistake comes with a decision he made a little bit later in the chapter. Let's pick it up in verse 58. We read this. Meanwhile, this is when Jesus has been arrested. He's already been beaten. He's already been subjected to the, that torture. And it says, Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and sat down with the guards and waited to see how it all would end. And then all the way down in verse 69, we begin to see how it ends. Meanwhile, Peter, sitting outside in the courtyard, a servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. 
But Peter denies it in front of everybody. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. In other words, when it says with an oath, it's like swearing, saying, I swear on everything that is holy, I don't know this man. A little bit later still, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. He couldn't even hide in a crowd because he had such a thick accent from where he was from in Galilee. And then Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. So he goes from just denial to swearing, claiming on everything holy, it wasn't me, to where now he's saying, basically, if I know the man, then strike me dead right now. Peter, he's already elevated or amplified his self-sufficiency right here. He is diminishing his need to even be near Jesus. And let me explain what I mean by that. As this story is leading up, as they come to arrest Jesus, Peter's there. All the twelve are there. And the Roman soldiers come in, and based on what we just hear, how he cowers, you would expect Peter to run. But he doesn't. Peter's the guy who grabs the sword, and he goes over to one of the Roman soldiers, and he cuts off the guy's ear. He's not backing down. He's going to protect Jesus at all costs. So he goes and he cuts off a soldier's ear to which Jesus is like, whoa, stop it. This is supposed to be happening. And he picks up the the ear and he slaps it on the the side of the, the guard's head and it is healed and reattached. So he's rebuked because he's not backing down. So Peter, he's not afraid of conflict. But in this instance, a few hours earlier, He doesn't find himself surrounded by a bunch of people who are hating Jesus and seeking his death. He is surrounded by a group of people who love Jesus, who believe everything that Jesus has been teaching. He's got support, and he's in the presence of Christ. Yet here he is a few hours later where he stood up and been strong in the other instance right now. He withers under the pressure from the world. He has no support, and he's afraid of what's going to happen. I mean, if they did that to Jesus, I'm probably next. Is probably what's running through his head. Here is Peter, the guy who Jesus calls the rock. He's the leader of this ragtag group of guys who would end up changing the world. He was solid. He was the one Jesus would turn to. He was in the inner circle, the inner three of Peter, James, and John, who Jesus really poured into. And now here he is, failing in a compromising situation. A guy who should have never failed in a compromising situation. In 2015... We had a foster child, and we had my son Braxton, who was, had just turned three. And we had planned this trip. We're going to Disney World. If you've been to Disney World, it ain't a cheap place to go. So Braxton, had his birthday was on March the 7th, and we're planning this trip. We're leaving, like, the first week of April. So it's less than a month from when he turns three. Well, if you've ever been to Disney World, maybe you've never taken a small child to Disney World, two-year-olds are free, Three-year-olds are about 400 bucks. 
So I'm like, I'm, I'm booking all the tickets, and this is before his birthday. So I'm like, he's two. He'll still be, we're just going to say he's still two. I'm going to save 400 bucks, and, you know, we can use that to do something fun at Disney World. And I'm talking to my wife about it, and she's like, are you kidding me? You are going to compromise on this and sell your soul for $400? I didn't. Even though I really wanted to. I'm not going to lie. I would have done it if she have said, yeah, let's do that. I wanted to deny what his age was to save me $400. And don't look at me like that because all of y'all would do the same thing. I know you would. 400 bucks, a lot of money. We all deny our faith at certain times for certain reasons. Crossing lines that we said we would never cross. Peter does the exact same thing. But, but how do we play, how does this play out in our lives? As I was thinking about it this week, I think it boils down to, to some common ways that we will deny our faith. And every single one of us has done one of these or all of these at some point in our life. You know, the first way that I see us denying our faith is we give in to compromise. You, you know, it's that age-old question that we talk about quite often, that question that the serpent asked Eve in the garden, did God really say that? And, and we will compromise on so many situations and say, uh, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but is that what God really meant by saying that? You know, there's areas of life that we compromise in all the time, and probably the biggest areas of compromise is sex, money, and our pride. We'll make pride be our God, and it will, we'll make so many decisions because of how Peter did it. I got it. I can handle it. There's no way I'm going to fall short in this. And, and we'll cave in to, to world's pressures and, and peer pressure when it comes to things like our money. And we'll spend money on things that we know that doesn't honor God. And we'll cut corners in areas where we know we can save a little money, like 400 bucks to go to Disney World. We'll cut those corners and we'll compromise in that. We'll compromise in sexual uh, areas of our life and say, I know that I'm not supposed to be doing this and looking at that. But did God really say? I mean, we're, gonna, we're getting married anyways. I mean, it may be years down the road, but we're going to do it, right? We give in to compromise all the time. We make excuses, and we ask that question, did God really mean that in Scripture? God's pretty clear on the things that He says in Scripture. And maybe He doesn't address every single little situation, but you know if you're a believer in Christ and you've studied the Bible at all, you know the principles of Scripture and what it teaches and how we should react in all of these situations. Maybe you're not a believer and it doesn't make any sense to you. Well, it shouldn't if you're not a believer. Scripture tells us that it is all foolish to those who don't believe. But some of you in here, you are believers and you know you're compromising on your faith. So we, we give in to compromise. Sometimes we give in to convenience. Maybe you are a business owner and you're cutting corners to make a little extra profit and not doing the things that you promised you would do for your clients. Or maybe you're a worker who's cutting corners and not doing the work that your boss is requiring you to do, but you're able to cut some corners so that it doesn't stick out so much. 
Or maybe you cut corners in other ways. Maybe it's on your taxes or, or whatever it may be. Maybe we give in to convenience in, in things like our sex life because sometimes convenience gets us to do things that we wouldn't normally do. And maybe it's something like moving in with, with someone who we plan on marrying all for the sake of convenience or to save money. Or maybe it's something like well, it could be any number of things. Or maybe it's where we say, you know, life is all about enjoyment. I'm going to get what I want. Whatever it takes, I'm going to take all that's mine, and I'm going to enjoy life. So we give in to compromise, and we give in to convenience, and some of us, we're just like Peter, and we give in to concealing our faith. I mean, this is a guy who should have never concealed it. People saw him there. But we do exactly what Peter did sometimes. And, and we won't speak up when we know that there's areas where people who we love are disobeying Christ and we don't say anything. We, we don't want them to get mad at us. We don't want to hurt their feelings. Or in our offices where we're like, you know, I can't really speak out about my faith because I might get fired. And, and I know that's a very real thing. And there are situations where you don't need to do that. But if you feel led to speak out about Christ, he'll take care of the job. We get this fear that boils up in us. And usually it's all because of what other people are going to think or do to us. And we just totally forget about what Jesus thinks of us and what he's done for us. So we compromise, we give in to convenience, and we conceal our faith, just hide it. And I would venture to guess that some of you in this room are doing it right now. And it's not that we're going to live a life of perfection because we're not. None of us are. But there are times where we know we're denying our faith and we're thumbing our nose at Jesus because it's convenient and we'll compromise and we're afraid of what happens if we don't do it. The story continues. I like the way that it ends. It gives us a little more information over in Luke 22. In Luke 22, verse 61, after the rooster had crowed, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Put yourself in Peter's spot. He's followed at a distance rather than being there to defend Jesus. He stayed back. He wants to know what's going on, but he stays back. And then... 
He's denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And exactly what Jesus said would happen, happens. The rooster crows, and he remembers. And then he glances across the courtyard at Jesus, and Jesus looks at him. And they lock eyes. And when he looks at Jesus, it's not the Jesus who he was with just a few hours earlier. Because at this point, he was bloodied. I mean, I would imagine he probably was swollen. There was cuts all over him. I mean, I imagine it would look like a boxer who's been through 10 rounds with Mike Tyson in his prime. And Jesus, through the swollen eyes, the blackened eyes, just catches Peter's eye. Jesus is battered, and Peter's broken. Because when he sees Jesus, I believe Peter realized that's my fault. You're the reason, I'm the reason that you're standing there all battered and beaten and bloodied. And it says, Peter left and wept. This isn't just some, I am sorry for what I did. This is pure brokenness. You know, there's two stories that play out in this week. The other is the story of Judas. Judas, the one who would betray Jesus into the hands of of the enemy to be killed. Scripture tells us that Judas was sorry that he did what he did, but he he never repented. He never returned to Jesus. Scripture says he actually committed suicide. Peter looks at Jesus and he's broken. And he demonstrates to us what repentance looks like. He denied Jesus three times. Three denials broke him. Three nails. And three days later, it changed him. Because of his faith, and his love for Jesus and his repentance. He has moved from this area where he is distraught to having hope. Put yourself in Peter's place. He has denied his Savior three times, and now his Savior's dead, and Peter's distraught, and he's hiding. He's in shame for what he has done. He's probably pleading with God for forgiveness because he's a coward. He's a traitor who gave in to compromise, convenience, and concealment. But then in in Mark chapter 16 and verse 7, Mary Magdalene and the other women had got to the tomb and it's empty. And the angel in the tomb looks at them and says, hey, go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm, I'm, Jesus is going before them. He'll meet them in Galilee. 
When you first read that, you're like, go tell the disciples and Peter. I thought Peter was a disciple. But when you put it together with what we just read, it's really more of a go tell the disciples, including Peter. It's a message to Peter that it's okay. You're still mine. You messed up royally. But I still need you. I still want you. I still love you. I still have a plan for you. And I forgive you. Peter's included. And it changed everything for Peter. When you read through the rest of the New Testament about Peter and read history about Peter, oh yeah, he messed up more. I mean, that's just who Peter was, and we're all like that. But Peter was one of the primary reasons that the gospel went around the world. He preached the gospel without any shame because he knew how it could change your life. He knew there was nothing better than a life surrendered to Jesus Christ, even when it's a life that costs you things. And it cost Peter so much that him, all but one of the disciples were martyred. And, and Peter was hung on a cross, just like his Savior. And tradition, history tells us that when he's hung on a cross, he wants no comparison to Jesus. So hang me upside down, he tells them. So he's hung on a cross upside down. He gave it all up for Jesus. How are you denying Jesus? How are you denying him right now? How are you compromising on your faith? What, what areas of life are you, you giving in just because it's convenient? What, what areas of your life are you just afraid of what the response might be so you're hiding your faith, you're concealing your faith? But some of you in this room, maybe you're not a believer. You've never followed Jesus with your life. So you're, you're not denying him out of compromise or convenience. You're denying him because you've never committed to him. How are you denying Jesus right now? If we look at the two biggest mistakes that Peter makes, our only response to avoid a failure in a compromising situation is we always recognize our need for help. You cannot do it without Jesus. You are not self-sufficient. It doesn't matter how strong you think you are, you will fail. Oh, maybe not this time, but you will fail if you only rely on yourself. So we have to recognize our need for help and we have to, to recognize our need to be near to Jesus, to draw near to him, to seek his face rather than follow at a distance. Always seeking his face. And the only way we really can do it is in spiritual disciplines. You'll never draw near to the Lord if you're not in scripture, if you're not in prayer. You'll never draw near to the, nor to the Lord if you are not surrounding yourself with other believers who hold you accountable and who walk through the process with you you'll end up like Peter. 
And some of us has already ended up like Peter. And Jesus is looking at you and saying, it's okay. But some of us end up like Judas. And we betray him. And we never look for him again. Peter would preach a sermon in Acts and he would say, all of us need to repent and believe if you want to follow Jesus. We've talked about it before. Repentance means you're returning from the things in your life and turning towards Jesus and following him. And to believe isn't just an intellectual belief. It is this idea of, I believe so much that I'm committing everything to Jesus. Some of you right now, you need to make that step. Let Jesus change everything for you. Some of you right now need to turn from where you are denying him in your faith. Submit to him and his leading for your life. As the band comes back up to close us this morning, I just ask that you spend a few moments with the Lord as the band sings. How are you denying him? Have you ever committed? Are you compromising? Are you living a life of convenience? Whatever it is, we want to pray with you through that. The altar's open. You can come and, and pray. We would be happy to pray with you if you want someone to pray with you. And if you have never committed your life to Jesus, today can be your Jesus moment. Would you surrender to him today? Father in heaven, I confess to you that I have so many times in my life denied you out of compromise and convenience. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I know there are other people in this room who have done the exact same thing and may be going through it right now. Lord, I pray for your conviction on them. And Lord, I pray that they won't even, they won't be able to be comfortable until they've surrendered whatever it is to you. Lord, would you convict right now? Lord, you are a gracious God who will never turn your back on us even when we do to you. But Lord, there are people in this room right now who have never committed their life to you and you know who they are. God, would you show them their need for a Savior? Would you give them the boldness to surrender? Lord, would you move this morning? In Jesus' name we pray.